a young woman slain viciously in the dark of night, surrounded by mystery and intrigue. A raven-haired temptress that was said to steal the hearts of many a man. The Black Dahlia is the unsolved mystery of a young woman that sent the nation's media into a frenzy. The case I'm about to share with you today is not the story of Elizabeth Short of California, but that of Mamie Thurman of West Virginia. Today we discuss the Blackberry Dahlia. Logan, West Virginia, the heart of coal country in 1932, a bustling community that saw many a family come to town to scratch their living out of the coal mines, and many a politician and businessman come to town to seek their fortune. With coal production slowing towards the end of last century, the population today sits around 1,500. But back in the mid-1930s, the population was closer to 5,000, and that was quite a large number in that small valley. Logan sits roughly an hour south of Charleston, West Virginia, a bustling coal town amid the sleepy hills. The Roaring Twenties were through. It took some time for the stock market crash of 1929 to hit the haulers of West Virginia, but when it hit in the early 1930s, it hit hard. Banks were failing. By some accounts, the miners in the area were down to working only one or two days per week. Prohibition was still in effect, so you couldn't even go out and drink your troubles away with what little money you had. Well, you could if you knew the right people. It just so happened that Mamie Thurman did know those people. She knew them well. Mamie Thurman was born Mamie Morrison on September 12, 1900, in Louisville, Kentucky. It was in Kentucky where she met and wed Jack Thurman a man 16 years older than her. The pair married in 1920, and in 1924, the two moved to Logan, West Virginia to build a life for one another. There, they rented an apartment above the garage of a man by the name of Harry Robertson. Robertson was a well-connected man, and it was through these connections that he helped Jack Thurman get on with the Logan Police Department. Things were looking positive for the couple. They were well-respected around town and at their church, they had a cozy place to live and stable employment throughout the economic crisis. The childless couple had everything they needed and seemed to have a bright future ahead of them. This was all about to change. Blackberries are in season from May through September. They're a fairly common sight throughout the mountain state. Pies, cobblers, jams, jellies. Can them, eat them fresh. You can even make wine from them. They're a good source of vitamin C if you're looking to fend off the scurvy. I wouldn't exactly call them a delicacy, but the tart, sweet berries are definitely well regarded for the most part. Blackberry season starts to peak around June, and it was about that time that 32-year-old Garland Davis was out picking them. That's when a blue polka-dotted dress caught his eye. Mamie's lifeless body was found at approximately 2 p.m on June 22, 1932. It was laying just off 22 Mine Road, up Trace Mountain. She hadn't been there long, 
but thanks to uh, heavy rain just a few hours earlier, the pigment used in her dress had began to bleed through, it stained her. Not too dissimilar to the kind of stain you might find on your fingers if you'd been out picking blackberries yourself. So Mamie done gone and got herself killed. She was 31. But why would anyone want to kill good old Godfear and Mamie? Well, what we do know for certain is that she was having an affair. It seems that Mamie and her landlord Robertson got along rather well, and she would occasionally meet with him after her husband had left for work. Robertson was an avid hunter, and he would use this to cover his side of their meetings. That much came out in court transcripts. Mamie, by many secondhand sources, was painted out to be quite the harlot, a succubus by night, stealing the hearts of men for pleasure and profit. It's often reported that she would frequent a speakeasy located above a local business. By some accounts, this was known as the Amour, or the Key Club. Now, a Key Club is actually a type of speakeasy where they assign members lockers in which they can store their own adult beverages. Now, if such a place existed and was frequented by Mamie or other parties, this wouldn't come out at trial. This potential for a seedy underbelly in Logan is what really fuels fires for speculation. If true, it makes us question most everything about this case. Let's take a look at the primary suspects. Jack Thurman, 48, the husband. Jack was a member of the Logan Police Department. He worked the night patrol, which was rather convenient for Robertson, who had assisted him in getting the job. He had been on the force for just over a year. Jack was seen at various locations throughout his shift that night. Full documentation of his whereabouts wouldn't be something they would typically keep. It would be his fellow officers who would verify the majority of his alibi. Harry Robertson, 40, the lover. He was a bookkeeper at the First National Bank of Logan, previously known as the Guyan Bank. Many accounts note him as being the city commissioner at the time, in addition to being the treasurer of the local library. Mr. Robertson owned a 1930 Ford Model A. It was believed that this vehicle was used to transport the body of Mamie Thurman. It was kept in a garage below the Thurman's apartment. He also spoke under oath as to having an affair with Mamie for at least the previous two years. Clarence Stevenson, 30, the driver. Now, Clarence was a smaller fellow. Several reports state he stood below five feet. Clarence had stayed in the Robertson's finished and furnished attic since earlier that year, and he had stayed there previously as well. He first boarded in the Robertson home after being involved in a mining accident that caused him to lose fingers on one of his hands. It's unclear when this occurred exactly and how long he stayed there but he returned to stay again in January of 1932 after being involved in another mining accident causing him to lose two more fingers on his other hand. Clarence would perform chores around the house and care for Mr. Robertson's hunting dogs in exchange for his room and board. He was also given access to the family vehicle for his own personal use and for driving Mr. Robertson. 
He also suffered from frequent nosebleeds due to a car accident he'd been involved in back in 1926. His nose never healed properly. The two men shared a common interest in fox chasing, a form of fox hunting that was popular in the eastern states. The practice had been brought over from England, and the goal was not to hunt and kill the fox, since foxes were not considered to be a nuisance pest, but to have your dogs chase the fox to see who could chase the longest and most effectively. Clarence had a reputation as a good fox chaser. The two men became quite friendly and would frequently go on trips together. In addition to Clarence, there was one other person who rented a room in the home, a man by the name of Oscar Townsend. He'd lived there for 11 years. Unlike Oscar, Clarence had to wash up in the basement and walk to the nearby courthouse when he needed to use the toilet. Clarence was black. Guilty. On June 22nd, Harry Robertson and Clarence Stevenson would be arrested on suspicion of the murder of Mamie Thurman. Robertson would be released on bond shortly thereafter. The preliminary trial would begin on July 29th. Being that he was seen as an upstanding member of the community, paired with testimony from his wife and Oscar Townsend, that they had been listening to the heavyweight boxing match between Jack May and Max Schmeling that evening before going to bed and staying there for the remainder of the night, all charges were dropped for Robertson. Clarence Stevenson was not so fortunate. Several individuals testified to seeing him out late that evening, and at approximately 5.40 a.m. on the night of the murder, two workers returning from their shift at the mine that night reported being passed by a car at a high rate of speed that was being driven by a black man. I felt it's important to note that 5.40 a.m. puts this sighting occurring before dawn, on a night where heavy rains were reported. The following morning, two gas station workers and a police officer all testified to seeing Clarence take the vehicle out of the Robertson's garage and clean or inspect it or basically be doing, he was doing something to the vehicle. Physical evidence was also found in the form of a bloodstained tarp which was located in the basement of the Robertson home, blood-stained clothing found in the attic where Clarence stayed, and blood beneath the floor mats of the car. Clarence's nosebleeds and the car and canvas being used for the hunting dogs on their trips was not found as a satisfactory explanation for this blood. Clarence was found guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to prison, where he would remain for the rest of his life. Mamie was in a terrible state when her body was found. Two gunshot wounds to the head, her throat had been slashed, and her neck was broken. Whoever perpetrated the crime had gone to great lengths to ensure that there was no way in which she could possibly survive. The question now is whether or not Clarence was actually guilty. There are many who believe he was not, and they believe that justice was served unfairly upon an innocent man. All evidence was circumstantial at best, and forensic capabilities at the time were quite limited compared to today. From everything I've read, it simply looks like the court and the jury may have just taken the easy way out and convicted a black man based on his vicinity to the crime. There are even reports that Life magazine had listed Clarence's own attorney 
as a member of the KKK in an article from 1960. Likely the most damning piece of evidence came from Clarence himself. He admitted on the stand that he'd had sexual relations with Mamie as recently as May 30th of that year. Information of this sort surely wouldn't sit well with an all-white jury back in 1932. When it came time to deliberate, it took them all 50 minutes to reach their verdict. Appeals to the court were made. They were denied immediately. Petitions were set up in the years following, and even as recently as 2019, seeking a pardon for the man. No luck. Now, evidence does indicate that Clarence is a suspect. There's no doubt there. But we're still really not clear on what his motive would be. Speaking of motives, let's take a closer look at a couple of the other suspects from the case. We have Jack Thurman, the husband. Harry Roberts, the man known to be having an affair with Mamie. And Clarence Stevenson, who we've already gone over in some detail. Jack Thurman is a prime candidate for consideration. He was the closest person to Mamie, and we have little knowledge of their home life. His potential motivation is clear. Logan's a small town. Word can get around. And with his work, it's quite possible that he could have crossed paths with her or spotted her out on one of her escapades. If he had discovered the affair was taking place, he would have had every right to be upset. But would that be enough to drive a seemingly decent man to murder? Now, it was concluded that Mamie was shot with a 38 pistol. The same type that Jack carries for work. It's always the husband, isn't it? Next on to Harry Robertson. He was arrested the following day for Mamie's murder. Was he enough of a bigwig in town to get this all turned around? Did he have his right-hand man take the fall? Court records do show that his wife did suspect the affair, but she claimed to not have any direct knowledge of it. Oh, and uh, Robertson did testify on the stand that Mamie had given him a list of 16 names of men that she'd slept with. Was this enough to prompt him to take vicious action? His alibi was reasonable, but far from concrete. A 38 pistol was found under his bed the following day during investigation, but reports say it hadn't been fired recently. Well, that's that. The man had Clarence following Mamie around, keeping tabs on her whereabouts, checking places that she was known to frequent. And that's not suspicious at all. The man had power and motivation. Did he have enough clout to get away with murder? In addition to those two suspects, I believe there are at least two other theories that are worthy of some degree of consideration. The first involves Logan's nightlife. According to multiple pieces of testimony and all sorts of speculation from reports thereafter, Mamie was very good at keeping herself busy in the evening hours. It seems that Logan had, uh, I don't know how thriving the nightlife was, but there was stuff going on in the evenings. People found ways to entertain themselves. With the prohibition going on and a lot of underground activities going on across the nation, 
it's not too far-fetched. These sort of environments are breeding grounds for seedy behavior. I think it's very possible that Mamie could have just crossed the wrong person at the wrong time. Paid dearly for it in the end. The other possibility, and this may have even less merit, but due to the nature of her demise, I feel like it's strongly worth considering. A botched abortion. It was testified that Manny was sleeping with no less than 17 men who were not her husband. Perhaps 18 if Clarence wasn't on the list that Mr. Robertson received. Pairing that with the fact that after 12 years of marriage, the couple still had no children, one can be led to assume that perhaps Mr. Thurman was infertile. It's well within the realm of possibility that Mamie could have become pregnant as a result of one of her encounters with Mr. Robertson, Clarence, or any of her other potential lovers. Now, Mamie's cause of death was quite, quite gruesome. It was a combination of the gunshot wounds, the throat slashing, and her neck being broken. This would cause an awful lot of consideration to be paid to the upper extremities and her upper torso perhaps keeping persons performing an autopsy well-occupied and less apt to pay attention to other regions, especially if any injuries occurred on the interior of her body. Her throat being cut would even account for any potential loss of blood. According to the news publication The Atlantic, in the late 1920s, up to 15,000 women per year may have died in the process of getting abortions. The practice would not become legal in the state for over 40 years. So, if any attempts at the procedure were made, they were likely done in a very rudimentary, inexperienced manner with little to no formal training. There's also the trouble of Mamie's burial. Court transcripts state that she was interred at Logan Memorial Park in McConnell, just outside of Logan proper. But funeral home records state that her body was taken to Kentucky. Was this just some form of clerical error? Or was this part of a more devious plot to prevent further examination of her body? We'll likely never know. The location of Mamie's grave is unknown to this day. Well, that's the meat of it. At least the best I could filter down after reading hundreds of pages of court transcripts and who knows how many articles. How about Garland Davis, the man who found the body? I didn't mention he was deaf and mute. Court didn't even have a proper translator for him. It's just weird. When I drove up 22 Mine Road, I couldn't tell you how many places I saw where if I tossed something out, nobody was going to find it. Garland found that body in less than 12 hours. She still had over $150 in today's money in her pocketbook. Had her wedding band on, had a diamond engagement ring on. Nothing about this makes sense. What I thought was going to be just a fun little ghost story turned out to be a whole lot more than that. I didn't even mention the ghost story, did I? Well, take yourself a little drive up old... 22 Mine Road there, right near Holden, a little ways from Logan, about 15 minutes these days, probably about half an hour back then, 
drive up that road, roll your windows down at night. You might hear you faint wailing there on the breeze. Can't say I recommend picking up any hitchhikers, but reports of those who have from the area say once they reach their destination, ain't nobody there in their car with them. Then there's if you uh, drive down to the end of the 22 mine where it meets the highway, you stop and put your car in neutral, Mamie's spirit will come down and start pushing your car uphill, directing you back to the place they found her body. Might have been the place of the murder, hard to say. Want you to go back and find some justice for her. I don't really recommend trying that little trick though. A lot of coal trucks on that hill. And you don't want to meet one of them when they're barreling downhill there towards uh, that highway. I nearly did. This one's been a doozy. Let me know who you think did it. I'm curious, because right now I couldn't tell you. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you.